Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. Happy Friday. You made it through the week. This was one of those weeks that seemed absolutely interminable, but it's good that we got uh, to the weekend. And so I, I want to try something a little bit different today. Ju- just for today, just for today, uh, we're not going to be talking about Congress or Nancy Pelosi or Joe Manchin or Kitchen Cinema or Biden or, or even Trump. I, I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, and let me give you the backstory on this. So last year, uh, in late May, this would be late May 2020, I, I came across something online. And I, I look, I, I confess, I spend way too much time online. And look, you spend a lot of time going through garbage. But this made me stop because this was extraordinary. It was a video in which a black man, a six foot two guy with dreadlocks, speaks directly into the camera telling us, before you call the cops on me, There are some things you should know. And then he proceeds to tell us about his life with 30 facts about his life. And it was amazing. So I actually tweeted, if if there are more powerful things on Twitter tonight, I haven't seen them. And I I, look, I, I post a lot of stuff, but this really touched a nerve. I mean, obviously, this spoke to me, but it spoke to lots of other people as well. And two days later, uh, Jimmy Kimmel actually aired the video during his opening monologue. And so it went viral. And I think it did spark um, a a conversation. We've talked about this before, how difficult it is to have conversations about race. This sparked a conversation about race. Uh, Not all of it was friendly. Not all of it was positive. And I got some blowback. Uh, uh, the, The man in the video is named Tyler Merritt. And he now has a new book out called I Take My Coffee Black, but this is the complete video. It runs a little bit more than two minutes, and this is Tyler Merritt looking into the camera saying, before you call the cops. Before you call the cops, I just want you to know the first thing that I did when I woke up this morning was yell at my alarm clock. My parents were raised in the South. I have to roll tide or they'll disown me. They raised me in Las Vegas. That city still has my heart. I hate spiders. I'm a vegetarian. I'm not proud about it. I've done goat yoga. I'm really not proud about that. I can tell you every single word off the NWA Straight Outta Compton album. I can also sing you every single word from Oklahoma. Bananas are disgusting. I am a Christian. I spend almost every Sunday morning teaching kids in Sunday school. I am often asked if I am Muslim. I'm okay with that. I'm pretty much convinced if you met my mother, you'd automatically become a better person. My father is a veteran. He taught me how to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, to everyone that I meet. I don't hate our president. I pray for him. I love basketball and also hockey. This is my brother, James. This is my brother, Mike. This is my brother, John. And this 
is my brother Rob. I've never been to jail. I've never owned a gun. I hate that anyone at all might possibly be afraid of me. I'd go around the world and back again if I knew that single act might make your day better. I'm a proud man. I'm a proud black man. Does any of this really matter? No. I just wanted you to get to know me better before you call the cops. Wow. Tyler Merritt joins me on the podcast today. Tyler, it is good to talk with you. I feel like we've been talking for years, but this is actually the first time we've spoken together. <laughs> Charlie, man, let me first say this. Um, dude, I, my, my dude, I call you my dude. People ask me all the time, like, do you really know Charlie Sacks? I'm like, oh, that's my dude. So <laughs> whether you know that, that's how I refer to you. Um, man, first let me say that's this. A first. I cannot... Yeah. Yeah, I cannot tell you enough. People ask me all the time, what can I do in the midst of talking about social justice issues, in the midst of talking about racial reconciliation? And one of the top things people can do that are not of color is to amplify Black voices, is to amplify and believe what Black people are saying. And Charlie, in in your tweet, and you just deciding to send this thing out into the world, It was a sign of you not only amplifying Black voices, but believing in what we say. And bro, I cannot thank you enough for what that means, because your little thing that may have seemed like nothing to you, I knew it was going to cost you something. And the fact that you were willing to bear that cost means everything. And I just want to say to your listeners really quick, too. Yo, listeners, I listen to this podcast as well. And this is right. (laughs) This is going to be different. This is not going, we aren't going to talk about Trump nor Biden, um, though I'm a politics head and would love to, so maybe on a different one, yeah. but please stick around because this is going to be fun because not everybody comes on here calls Charlie my dude. No, I, I think that is, that is, that is definitely a first. You, you definitely stand alone. I, I think, you know, also in the fact that you like hockey. I mean, that, that, these are unique things that we've, we've already heard. You know, you've been, look, I I tweet too much and I cannot take any credit for this because I mean, I tweet all the time and your, your video is what really lit the fuse. And I know part of it, you were so eloquent, but also I think the timing, uh, I think the people were willing to, ready to listen. This was after uh, the George Floyd case. Uh, There had been other incidents. And so it really hit a nerve. And uh, obviously it hit a nerve when, when Jimmy Kimmel played it as well. So Give me the background of that video, why you decided to make it. Was there one incident, a series of incidents? I mean, you know, you're a, as you described yourself, you're a six foot two guy with dreadlocks. Um, mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, you're, you're scary as shit. I mean, when they see you yeah. coming down the street, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? For sure. I'll tell you, this was actually the second time the video had gone viral. It originally went viral in 2018. And had a moment that was, you know, 30 million people had viewed it. And I thought the video was kind of over. And I talked about my book, how I actually disappeared for a couple of years and came back shortly after um, after George Floyd uh, from the social media completely. Um, but in 2018, man, I was I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And I, there's a walk that I take every single day. The first chapter of my book is called If She Only Knew. 
And Charlie, man, <laughs> I was walking down the street like I do all the time. And I, I wear a hoodie to keep a little cooler to keep the sun from off me. I wear a bandana to keep the sweat out of my eyes. I wear sunglasses like people do and headphones, big Beats headphones because I'm an audiophile, you know. And I'm, I'm very aware of who I am when I'm walking down the street and what I look like. And so I was at this crosswalk where I have to always pass. And there was an older white woman who was in her automobile, in her truck, and she wasn't looking at me. So I knew she was looking forward. And so I knew that when I walked past her, I was going to have to come across her and that I could possibly scare her. So what I did, man, is I did everything I possibly could do to make myself less scary. I took off my headphones. I took off my bandana. I took down my sunglasses so she could see my eyes. I took off my headphones so that she knew that I could hear her. I pulled down my hoodie. I put on a bright, huge smile, man. Like, like, let's go. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in the book, I talk about how I was thinking I was trying to project a black Mr. Rogers, right? <laughs> so, um, I walked past her, and and I would like to say it's because she turned and she saw that I was like coming up close, and and that scared her. But no, she she turned, looked at me from still a distance away, and she freaked out charlie when i tell you she freaked out i'm talking like jumped out of the cab like with a with you know jump, almost hit her head on the roof started slamming on her door um locks and as i walked and got directly in front of her i stopped and i looked at her and i laughed and i wasn't laughing at her um bro i was laughing yeah. because i thought to myself if you only knew everything i just did for this not to happen. If you just knew everything I did, Charlie, to make myself smaller, I, I forcibly attempted to make myself smaller on behalf of you not being afraid of who I am. But without it, my smile didn't help. Um, and this wasn't about my size, because don't get me wrong, I'm not naive to think that people, and especially women, aren't afraid of men. Um, and, and that's fair. But there, right before me, not too much farther, there was a, a, a white dude who was jogging along, who crossed in front of her, who I don't think he had to think twice about this, you know? And I don't know who that guy was, but I knew I had to. And so once I, I passed her and laughed a little bit, and I was walking to a bench that I always walk to, man, um, and what's funny is I, I, began, I began to really think to stop, man. Like, mm -hmm. man, if she only knew, Charlie... If she only knew everything I did, if she knew that I love my mother more than life itself, if she knew that I teach kids in Sunday school every single Sunday because I want them to know the everlasting joy and love of God, if she knew that I was listening to Bring It On the Musical in my headphones, Charlie, Charlie, a musical about cheerleaders, and she had interrupted <laughs> me, and now I was pissed about it. So, I, you know, I went through stages, bro. Like I, I thought to myself, you know, maybe she just doesn't know a lot of black people and that's why she freaked out. It's, you know, it's psychological. And then I went through another stage. It was like, no, this is just some bullshit. Like I shouldn't have to make myself smaller. Right. That was that was the question I was going to ask you is, should you have to make yourself smaller? I, I know that people listening to that are going to go, well, hold it. That's wrong. You know, why should a proud black man make himself smaller because of some bigoted white lady? And I'll tell you this, I don't have to make myself smaller. I don't owe any answers to anybody about my culture I don't, or, or my ethnicity or about my history. 
I, as a proud black man, do not owe anybody and not a single black man in on this earth, black woman, black child does either. But I will tell you this, we are not monolithic, Charlie. We are all not one thing. And sometimes when you see a house burning down, you have somebody who might go, okay, I need to call the fire department. Okay, I need to throw some water on this out of a bucket. Okay, I need, need to call, grab a water hose. And what I decided to do is I said, you know what? I need to put together something to explain to this lady who I am. Because if she knew who I actually was, she may not only like me, she may love me. I may become her favorite person. She may laugh. And so when I put together this content, I wanted to cover a, a, a wide swath of things. I wanted to say, look, I'm afraid of spiders with my big black self. Um, <laughs> bananas are horrible. And I don't know why they're on the earth. Um, I love I love my mother <laughs> and I love Las Vegas. And, and, and I happen to be one of those individuals that I am, I'm a hardcore hip hop fan, but I am also a diehard musical theater fan. And I like basketball. And since I've been in Nashville because of the Predators, I started liking hockey. And though I didn't have to humanize myself to her, Charlie, I wanted to, in my, in my personal attempt to throw water on this fire that is burning, say, look, I don't have to explain myself to you. But if, if you stop for a minute, if this keeps you from calling the cops on, on another black man, because calling the cops on us is not loose. It, it, that's a life or death issue. And so if my little piece, and I'll take all of the crap I have to take with, with people saying that, you know, I, I don't have to humanize myself and this side or the other. But if it helps save the life, I'll do that video every day for the rest of my life. And I'm seeing that it had impact. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's addressed to people who might be tempted to call the cops, but it would also be, I think, handy if the cops themselves were to watch this. Uh, so to talk to me a little bit about this, because I, I've had this conversation before that this is a this is not just a, a phenomenon that you've experienced. Uh, you know, the the people who look at you or follow you or run away from from you. This is this is uh, I don't want to use the word universal experience. Sure. But I, I, I think maybe we've, we've got a sense of the number of Karens in the world who might call the cops on somebody in Central Park, that one incident, or, or uh, you know, the people who would decide to get their guns if a black man is jogging through their neighborhood. Uh, we know that. But this is, I, I think one of the reasons why this touched a nerve was also because virtually every black man has a story like this, or at least that's my sense. Sure. I, I, and I think... One of the one of the reasons why this video also I think impacted people is though there were some uh, some pushback with some of my black friends, most of the community, and again, like I said, we're not monolithic. Black people responded to this video. In fact, many black people started making their own version of this video. And when I was off social media for two years, I missed it. But people it hashtagged the Tyler Mayer Project or um, before you call the cops started to trend because because black people. Um, my Hispanic friends, um, they were beginning to make their own videos and, and telling their own specific stories because they felt the need, again, not to humanize themselves, but to express to people who they were. And I think generally, Charlie, the idea behind that was, you know, I, if you have a son, Charlie, that looks like you, or you have a nephew or a niece that looks like you, when you see somebody else 
who looks like them, you probably pull your guard down because that's familiar to you. Right. And this video was screaming that we need more proximity. And you are 100% right. This wasn't just my story. Um, black people weren't going, oh my gosh, is that what you experienced, brother? No, they were going, preach. Because we don't know, we don't have the words to communicate this. And you communicate it in a, in a way that suddenly people want to listen. And it created proximity, which is a key word and kind of the whole overall point of my book. I, I need to take a deep breath here because I think I told you right before we started this that you know this was one of the things that I, I start the day saying I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z, and then I ended up always doing it. I almost <laughs> always do that. I just it's it, it's it's a thing. After your video went viral and I tweeted it, there was a piece in the New York Times Magazine by Thomas Chatterton Williams who was somewhat critical of your video and of my retweeting of the video. And at the time, I got into a little bit of a Twitter back and forth, and, and then mutual friends intervened and said, you guys shouldn't be sniping at each other about all of this, you know? And so I actually stood down and sort of kind of let it go. And um, as I was preparing to talk with you today, I went back and I reread his piece, which is titled, We Need to Stop Measuring Black Lives by Their Whiteness. And I got Oh, I got annoyed all over again, Tyler. So I'm, 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 I'm sorry. So let me just read you. And I want, I want, I want to get your response to this sure, sure. because I remember at the time thinking, what was, was your response? Because I thought your video was incredibly powerful and incredibly useful. And his snark is basically that uh, most of the audience was perhaps not unintentionally heavily composed of white people, which again is kind of duh, because you are saying, don't call the police on me, but let me just read a couple of paragraphs on its face. Merits is a difficult statement to argue with, and yet there is something strange and discomforting about the performance, having as much to do with what is said and emphasized as what is left implicit. The performance is deftly attuned to our era of counterintuitive reversals, of moral spectacle and quick and easy instruction, of blacked-out Instagram uh, posts and adorable viral videos, blah, blah, blah. But the specific and acutely racialized fashion in which Merit makes the case for his full-spectrum humanity is nonetheless rooted in a narrowing shorthand of hobbies, fears, and tastes stereotypically understood to be not black. Before you call the cops is humanizing, but only if mankind's default face remains white. Okay, so if you ever read Thomas Chatterton Williams, you understand there's like, you know, 10 times as many words as you need to make the point. But so you know, please, please, please for white acceptance of black humanity have a long and terrible history in America, stretching back to the first slave narratives, you know, and then he goes on. So the, the, the bottom line here, if I can if I can cut to the chase after all the verbiage before you call the cops represents a conception of the other that is as familiar and unchallenging as top 40 music, so easy to listen to and share, precisely because it requires so little imaginative exertion, that all Americans might be worthy of the presumption of a total humanity, one that isn't ultimately classed or race, that would be a truly radical vision. I, okay, so I'll, 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 I'll toss it to you that... That, that you were measuring black lives by their whiteness, that what you did was you say, okay, before you call the cops, I'm, I'm kind of like white. But that, okay, I'm sorry. I'll, I'm going to let you do it before I rant. 
Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> okay. <sighs> yeah. All right. So first of all, you. This, Charlie, you have now brought more attention to this article than I ever did. Um, and that is the number one reason why I did not, because um, there are a lot of articles people have read about me and I could care less if anybody read this about me. So yeah. I didn't share it. And I didn't share it because I thought he was being critical because I don't care. It's still the New York Times, right? But yeah. here's a little backstory. So I'm a part of the musical theater community in Broadway and this side of the other. And a publicist who works with them um, had told me about two weeks before New York Times reached out to me. She said, um, hey, I don't know if you want to do anything with the New York Times. A lot of black actors right now are not doing anything with the New York Times. A lot of big Broadway black actors. And I didn't understand why. I was like, what's hmm. up? I'm all about proximity. That's crazy. Why wouldn't you? And so I get a call from the New York Times almost a week later, and it's just a representative who calls me, a young man, I, may, I think maybe his name was Zach. And so he calls me, he's like, hey, Mr. Merritt, I'm from New York Times, and I just want to you know, verify some facts because we're, we're going to do an article on you and what you're mentioned. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, man, cool. You know? And so he starts to talk to me, and usually a call like this takes maybe 15 minutes just to verify some facts, right? But this is a young white man. We start talking. We talk for about an hour and a half on the phone, Charlie. And we just have a conversation back and forth. And by the time he hangs up, he goes, oh, so you get this. You like knew exactly what you were doing. And I was like, yeah. He's yeah. like, so you are, you, this was an accident. This wasn't, you were being incredibly intentional. And like, he hung up the phone like, oh gosh, Tyler, this dude, in fact, we changed numbers. Like, to, I was like, dude, text me. And we were, we were cool. But he told me that this article, he obviously didn't tell me the details about it. He said, it's already been written. It's already been penned. I'm just checking the facts. The article comes out and I read it. And the first thing I do is I text this dude and he goes, man, I'll be honest with you. After we got off the phone, I couldn't believe that I, this, I read, I, I couldn't believe this article is about to come out, man. And he was like, I knew you were going to reach out to me. And I was like, yeah, look, I feel like I got the okie doke, bro. Like, <laughs> I feel like we had this true and honest, genuine conversation, you and I, when you were just calling to check facts, but right. Thomas Chatterton, who I've never spoke to, like, have not spoke to once, did not reach out to me specifically to talk to me about what the motivation was behind. Instead, he drew up a piece that he thought um, was, well, it was an opinion piece. So, of course, I had never, I had heard his name, but I'd never, I didn't know who he was, right? So the first thing I do, and I'm gonna keep it real, I'm gonna keep it 100 with you, Charlie. And I realize that this is something a lot of people hear, and he might even mm -hmm. hear. So forgive me, because I'm known to be the uh, the nice, kind dude. But I tell my I tell my friends I'm kind of like the Incredible Hulk. I, as a black man, I'm always <laughs> angry. Like I'm all like Hulk is always there, but Bruce Banner is where I try to live. Man, I looked up this dude right, and it was like Thomas Chatterton, and like who is it? Is this dude questioning my blackness? I was like, I, 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 you know, and so I, my initial reaction, I was like, this dude doesn't know who I am. This dude, when I say I listen to NWA, because I was raised in the hood, and then I found myself going, I don't have to justify my blackness to another black person. And the fact that this dude would write this article about this for white people to read says more about his blackness than mine. At the end of the article, he says something like, so would the video still be, I, I, and I'm, I'm really paraphrasing, but he says, mm. would the video still be powerful if he was a, a, a rapper, a black rapper from Texas or something? And I'm like, bro, I, the idea that black people are monolithic is the point of this effing video, is the fact that we all have an individual story to tell. 
that my black experience does not have to be somebody else's black experience. And and and, and, I, and let me say, I wanted to say, bro, have you ever been to an HBCU? Have you ever been to a historically black college? Because if you go on site, to, if you step into the foot, of, it's shades of blackness. There is not one single particular kind of black person in the United States and all of our experiences make us. You don't know that I grew, I went to a middle school that was that was gang infested. You know, but I don't have to tell you that because all I'm trying to do right now is express who I am. And you questioning who I am as a black man made me want to go say all kinds of words that only black people express with each other. But as I looked at this dude, I'm like, I don't even know who you are, bro. Well, you know, what, what what frustrated me about this is is he writes, you know, anti-racism stuff against wokeness and about all of that. But in, in this particular piece, he seems to have a very specific stereotypical view of what is black and what is white. So, I mean, my right. take was that, that a black man who likes hockey is not acting white. That is black. You are a black man who likes hockey. So that Damn is straight. by definition. And so what he's doing is he's putting in these contexts that somehow you were acting white by explaining who you were, which strikes me as, I mean, to say that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's reductive and knee jerk. And I'm not, I'm not even sure what it was that annoyed him so much about all of this, but it was, you know, this, your appeal is to shared humanity. And I guess this was one of those moments when I thought, you know, this is why it is so difficult to have a conversation about race these days, because here, Tyler Merritt is trying to reach out and have this conversation, and he's slapped down by Thomas Chatterton Williams in the in the, in the, in the, in the New York Times, and and I and I'm slapped down for boy, what a, what a trivial thing that I did by retweeting it. And it's like, okay, so can you tell me what is it that we can say? Because we always talk about we need to have a conversation about race, but every conversation seems to end up with some invisible tripwires of grievance, even from guys like Thomas Chatterton Williams, who, who, who spends most of his time, you know, complaining about wokeness. It's like everybody's got to know this is the way you must. You know, Tyler, if you want people to think of yourself as a human being, you need to stress your actual blackness, not what I am going to define as your whiteness, which is I'm sorry, what bullshit, even if it comes from Thomas Chatterton Williams, you know, um, you know, you know, describing the other and the history of all of that. So, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I say I got myself and I got you all annoyed all yeah, over again by this. Yeah. Well, so. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, man. Um, I was upset for about a whole two hours, right? And then this thing, the, uh, and hear me on this, bro. The maturity. I've been, by the way, I've been calling you bro to my friends for forever. So now that we're actually talking, just, you just have to deal with it, man. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just rolling with it. I, I... <laughs> it's like, that's, that's your bro. That's my bro chart. Okay. Um, so man, I was upset for about two hours, man. And after that two hours, the mature thing that Thomas never really hit in his piece occurred to me, which was, look, I don't know his story. And if there's anything that I do know and that I believe more than anything is that Black people are not monolithic. And due to that fact, it's okay. I don't know what his story is. I don't know if he grew up in a society or an environment where he was always questioning whether, you know, if the white people didn't think he was white enough and the Black people didn't think he was Black enough. Here's the thing. I do not know what he walked through. 
And he didn't explain it. But what he did do is decide to give an opinion on mine. So as soon as I took a moment and go, wait, black people aren't monolithic. This is his view. I can't be mad that this is his view and his take. I'll be real with you, man. When I started, the first time the video went viral, the pushback from black people, and again, it wasn't a lot. It was just a, it was a small few. There was an anger with this. You do not have to humanize yourself. This was an anger I understood, Charlie, right? right? This was an anger that I could justifiably go, okay, black folks, I hear you, but you know that this is my way of trying to put out the fire. And we came to a conclusion with that. But with Chatterton, um, I just had to side with the fact that this is just, his thoughts are more attached to who he is as a black man than to how society needs to walk through it. And let me just say this really quick. You are so right on, Charlie when you talk about, then what are we as people not of color supposed to do if we can't like a video that 60 million people have all decided that they echo with? And the simple answer is this, man. We have a huge history of Black people in America having some serious, serious problems. And we have never been able to land on one solid answer. And so all you can keep doing is doing the next right thing for you. And because we are not monolithic as Black people, you are going to have some Black people that think that you are a hero because of you amplifying Black voices. And you're going to hear from some Black people who are going to feel a different way. All I know is, is that if you stop, the movement stops. So any person who is listening right now, I want to encourage them, do the next right thing for you and build a community where you have black people around you so that one might not agree, but the other might, but we're going to move forward together. You know, I was thinking that that might happen last year. I'm thinking, you know, trying to go back in time to May of 2020. And it did feel like maybe we were ready to have that conversation, that we were ready to, to have these, these, you know, deal with some of these difficult issues it feels like it's been shut down now, though. I mean, what what is your sense? I was much more hopeful back then that we were going to have that conversation, but it seems that there has been this massive pushback. I mean, the debate about critical race theory sure. is, I mean, we, you know, I don't want to debate critical race theory. All I'll just say is that it's now become shorthand for not raising issues about race at all. I'm not even sure that your video could be shown in public schools across the country, like, for example, in mm-hmm. Texas. I mean, it would be interesting to know, would, would you be able to show Tyler Merritt's video now in a state that has banned critical race theory, which has now become anything that deals with race that might make somebody uncomfortable? I, say, I don't know anymore. But right. what's happened is the real result is that everybody has shut down and shut up and nobody wants to do it because nobody wants to get slapped down for otherizing somebody or saying just the wrong thing. Sure. I would say this, man, uh, and, and this is something I think not a lot of especially my media friends talk about, unless it's like Joy or, you know, somebody who's Black or Tiffany, um, is the word privilege. And I I think the number one reason that we have this conversation has bypassed us nearly a year later, even though we are currently right now in the midst of figuring out if we're, what's going to happen to the fate of the individuals who lynched Ahmaud Aubrey, um, we are, it's privilege. So uh, let me explain what I mean by that. Oftentimes when the P word comes up, people automatically put up a wall and go, but wait, 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 you don't know my history as a white person. You don't understand what, uh, you know, I've never been privileged. 
And uh, I'll just I'll just put it this way. No matter how the media changes, no matter how the news changes, Charlie, I today, when I walk out of my door, still remain a black man. So even though the news has changed, my life hasn't. And there is nothing that I can do about the fact that I still am a black man that walks out my front door every morning and just wants to do that one simple thing that we all wanna do, and that's make it home. So this is stuff I have to think about all the time, bro. I don't get a break from it. I don't get to go, hey, this was really powerful. I'm glad we're all talking about it a year ago. But if I'm being honest, there was that I knew, and I think black people too do, you know, when books came out, like how to be an anti-racist and this, that, and whatever, and everybody's reading it and was like super into it. I think black people were aware of going, okay, we have a moment here for people to really look at this, but let's don't get it twisted. You know, in a few months, we're still going to be black. And sadly, and I, and I even hate to say this, man, and I get a little bit emotional as I think about it. It's the death of black people that brought attention to black people. It was the death of us that awoke a nation a year ago. And I think what's kind of flipped us over, you know, over the past year is so many things have happened, man, between COVID and and a new president. And there's just, let me be clear, man, like if 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 black relations was still the number one trending topic in the world right now, there would be a part of me that would be like, we need to talk about healthcare because mm-hmm. we're black people and we need to talk about this too, right? So let's let me let me be clear that I'm not naive enough to think that we need to be the continual trending topic in America. The reality of the issue is though is that <laughs> trending or not, I'm still black, and that is the heartbeat of what my friends, uh, my white friends and the people not of color need to remember is that this is still fresh in my mind. I can't say the name George Floyd just loosely. When I say the name George Floyd, I think about death of someone who looks like me and I go through trauma. That's not a story of someone for me. That's a traumatic experience. And that will never, that will never go away. So three years from now, we look back and go, remember that crazy time in 2020 where everybody was talking about Black stuff? Black people, though we're not monolithic, will still be going, yeah, man, that's still every day of my life. And it was before you decided that it was something that was important to you. You know, I I, I have bristled at the word privilege. But, you know, now that you're we're, we're talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, after I'm done with this, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to go down to the airport. And if I drive too fast and I get stopped by the cops, there's no part of me that will worry that that incident will result in me being killed. I mean, it would just—it would never enter my mind. I know sure. exactly how it will play out. I am not afraid of that. You also talk about a conversation that began because of the death of black people. And I've talked about this before on the podcast. And I, this is part of the tragedy of where we're at right now. You know, when the attention was renewed about the fact that there was a massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Mm-hmm. There was a white uh, supremacist, literally a white supremacist coup in Wilmington, North Carolina, that overthrew the government and 60 African-Americans were killed. And that was completely erased from our history. Mm-hmm. It is completely erased. And just at the moment when it was like, OK, we really do need to talk about these incidents and what happened and how it impacts the American story at the very moment 
when we had this hysteria about critical race theory that said basically, no, history should make everybody feel good about themselves, which means that we're going to continue to erase that from American history. And I, I think that that's, first of all, it's intellectually dishonest, but it just feels like a tremendous opportunity lost. Well, think about it this way, Charlie. Uh, the history of Black people is not just for white people. Right. It's for Black people to know where we've come from, to understand why certain monuments are not just up because they're cool or because it's just history. Or, or if you don't understand what a monument is attached to or what it means, how can you fight against that narrative? I'll give you a good example, man. My mother and my father, which I talk about in my book, were raised in this little tiny town called Utah, Alabama, E-U-T-A-W, Alabama. And when I wrote this book, I dug deep into the history of Utah. And there was an event called the Utah Massacre. And I won't go into the depths of it because I talk about it in the book, but it was essentially um, something that took place because Black people were trying their best to have a voice and vote. And my mother, who was raised in Utah, Alabama, whose parents were raised there, whose parents' parents were raised there, who she went to school there. The first time that she heard about the Utah massacre is when she read my book. Really? Yes. Well, we, we've, so, done, we, we've done a very good job of whitewashing that history, haven't we? So. What, what are, and, and here's the deal. If it's not your history, why should you care, right? Like, and, and on some level, I sort of kind of get that. And, and this is what I mean by that. Like, <laughs> again, in my book, I talk, I asked this question. I was like, all right, name how many Black people you learned about in your high school history. Can you name more than five? And I'm like, you can, you can probably name Langston Hughes if you really paid attention in English class. But outside of that, everybody else we learned about was white. And if you don't think at some point there's black kids in American high schools that are going, if I have to learn about one more white dude, <laughs> you know? So there's a part of me that goes, I understand the idea of not feeling like you need to learn history that isn't directly associated with you. But I do not have the privilege not to know about white history. I have to. That's, it's, it's, it's inevitable. The same way I don't have the privilege of not walking into a, 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 a Walmart or into a Target and looking around, if it, and if it's mostly white people, not dealing with that thought of, okay, I, I'm, I'm a black person here. And how many times do white people have to walk into a Target and it's 98% black people or a Kroger even mm -hmm. or whatever and walk in and I don't have the privilege to just choose another Kroger or choose another Target or choose another Walmart the same way that I don't have the privilege to just choose another history that I'm solely going to focus on. And now black people and have been for years are going, there is a history that, that exists here and it makes sense that if you're ignorant, and I don't mean ignorant in the negative sense, I mean ignorant in the literal sense. If there is, if, if, if there is a reason why you don't think that the statue should be taken down, it's probably because you're ignorant to the history attached to that. And this is why this is important. So are you hopeful looking at the future? Oh, one, 100%. Gosh, what? and I hate to say this too, man, because I, I feel like I, I tend to because of who I deal with in, in my talks in proximity, I don't tend to talk about the word privilege a lot. I just don't because it's something that shuts people down. But I'll say this, Charlie, and hear me, my friend. 
I do not have the privilege as a black man in America not to be hopeful. I just don't. I don't have the privilege to just go, uh, maybe we'll get better, maybe we won't. Because even though right now I have no kids and I'm not married and all of that, if one day I want to birth a child into this world, I need for that child to have hope, the same kind of hope that you want for your children and your family. I do not have the privilege to just go, nah, eh, whatever happens, happens. And so with that, I'm going to do everything that is in my being to not only continue to push hope, but to pray to God that nobody else gives up on hope either. Tyler Merritt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. The book is I Take My Coffee Black, Reflections on Tupac, Musical Theater, Faith, and Being Black in America, forward by Jimmy Kimmel. Charlie, Charlie, let me say. Yeah, yeah. Let me say really quick. Let me say really quick. For those of you who are thinking about getting a book, I am a comedian at heart, and the book is actually incredibly funny. And so it's one of those books that you're going to have some heavy moments in it. 100%, but you're going to, you're most likely going to laugh your way through about 60% of it in the midst of <laughs> you talking true. about all kinds of things. So no, no, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just don't want people to think, oh no, here's another heavy book I need to pick up. They're going to laugh a lot. Well, also, you know, okay, this is important to understand about you. And and, and I really identify with this, that, that, that amidst all of the tragedy and all of the anger, you have to maintain a sense of humor. Otherwise you will lose your mind. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, and I think that's absolutely crucial. Sometimes people say, okay, you know, you shouldn't be joking about this or, you know, why are you smiling about this? Because that's the only way that we maintain our sanity and our equilibrium going through all of this. You have humor to have a sense universal. of humor. Humor is universal. Yes. Laughing is universal, Charlie. When we all go into a movie theater, lights go out, we're all watching the funny movie. We can't, I can't see you in the theater, but we're all laughing the same thing. If there's anything we do, babies learn to laugh. They, they laugh and smile whether they know what they're laughing at or not. And it's a universal thing. And if I can get you to laugh, then I can probably get you to love. If I can get you to see the hurt in somebody in whom you've walked with closely to proximity with, which is the entirety of the storyline of my book, then I can probably spark you to have empathy. So as we continue to tap into those things that are universal with us, laughter, um, understanding, we all wake up every morning and we, we want to we, we wanna have a good day right? Those are all things that we understand. And having those universal concepts um, will allow us to open up to each other. And that's what I attempted to do in this book. So I just wanted to clarify to some people, there's yeah, so many great. incredible no. Black authors <laughs> that have written some really deep, heavy books. And this book, and it's one of the reasons why Jimmy Kimmel signed on, because he laughed his way through it in the midst of also having this heartbreak. And um, I just wanted people to know that <laughs> this is going to be one of those books that when you open it up, you you, you know, if your wife is sitting next to you, you're going to go, honey, I could not, you need to understand what this black man just said right now. This is, you know, this is fantastic. So I just wanted the readers to know that, that they're going to love it. All right. Tyler Merritt, I take my coffee black. Tyler, this has been a great conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, bro. See what I did there? Bro, Charlie, my bro. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday. And I want to say we'll do this all over again, but probably it'll be a lot different on Monday. Have a great weekend.